This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state, and by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone, and thanks for listening. I've explained for some weeks now on this show, on more Zoom calls than I can count, and in every conversation with every semi-influential person I could grab a hold of, about the term, the COVID-19 effect. What is the effect? The effect is magnification. The appearance of COVID-19 has magnified the difficulties, barriers, and hardships that exist to those who live under the yoke of food insecurity in everyday life. Back when we lived under blue skies, that is the days before the pandemic, life was hard when there wasn't enough food. Today, we are all held captive by the coronavirus and everything about life is harder, more difficult, and damn near impossible, especially for the food insecure household. Paul W. Smith, the famed morning show host here at the flagship of our show, WJR, interviewed me recently and we shared a moment about both of our lives are like in the midst of COVID-19. It's work. It's seemingly all work. It never stops. The demands, the need, the challenges, trying to figure out how to create food security for more people than ever is like the Mount Everest of complex multi-leveled chess. Food security under blue skies is more difficult to achieve, but food security in a pandemic we find the complexity is multiplied a thousandfold. Yet every time I start to lament how difficult, how hard it is to do this work, I am reminded it is far more difficult. It is much harder for people who are looking into the faces of their family members who are hungry. In short, the short of it is this. If Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs was accurate a month ago, its accuracy, like the difficulty of being food insecure, is magnified exponentially by COVID-19. Jerry Brisson joins me in a moment to discuss COVID-19's magnifying effect on food security here in and across Michigan. Come back and be with us. Welcome back, everyone. And as promised, Jerry Brisson, the CEO for the Gleaners Community Food Bank and the chairman for the Food Bank Council Board of Directors. And Jerry, um, our entire network is doing great work across this state. We've talked about it for several weeks now. And uh, it's great to hear your voice. I wish we were together, but it's great to hear your voice. Well, doctor, I feel the same way as you. I mean, we're all working pretty long hours, but we're managing uh, to do this through Zoom calls and Microsoft team meetings. And uh, we're, you know, using new technology even as we speak. So, you know, it's all a part of what you do when you got to do things you've never done before. And God knows it's good to know that you and I can still learn a few things, doctor. Uh, That's right. That's exactly right. Well, here's a couple of things that we're learning. 
um, the COVID-19 effect, and that effect, as I said in the monologue, is really magnification. And the magnification focuses on the hardships that food insecurity brings to people's lives. Um, it's hard under, as I say, blue skies. But in the, in the midst of a pandemic, Jerry, it is so difficult. Well, what we're seeing is more and more that when people have um, health conditions um, like diabetes or like hypertension, um, it makes the likelihood of, of their dealing with the COVID-19 virus much much more difficult, right? That, that will they recover? How quickly will they recover? Um, and they're finding that, that, in fact, a lot of the people that we serve, people who are low income, because their diets often uh, give them a higher likelihood of obesity and heart disease and, and hypertension, they are at a much more alarming rate affected by COVID-19 in bad ways. And so, um, you know, that, that it, oh, I guess my heart just continues to go out to the people we serve um, because, you know, it's, it's scary enough in general to deal with this. But when you have a higher likelihood that you're going to have complications from it, it has to be that much scarier. And, and I just feel for people. Well, it's, you know, it's a new threat for folks, um, you know, for everybody. But then when you add the, the health crisis on top of the other things that you're worried about, like what am I going to eat, what am I going to give my kids, the stress is just, I have to imagine, just debilitating. And, you know, there's, there's several aspects that we've talked about on the show, and our perspective is a bit unique, I think, because we look through the lens of food security. Um, but what are some of the things that you're talking about, Jerry, there about people, how they're struggling with the, the health care on top of all the food insecurity or the toxic stress of food insecurity is being talked about by Dr. Anthony Fauci who uh, is kind of the pandemic guru in the White House. And he talked about some of that this week. And you and I read the same article. I think you said it popped up in your news feed. Yeah, right. So what really caught my attention is that, and I'm reading from the article now, um, and this article, uh, again, it was from Business Insider, who, uh, who did this article. So I'll give a little bit of credit to Business Insider here. But here's the quote. In Chicago, more than half of all COVID-19 positive test results and 72% of recorded virus-related deaths have been among African Americans, who make up just 32% of the city's population and 15% for the state of Illinois. Um, and and wow. the reason that pops out is because they also say that um, it's not because African Americans are otherwise more likely to get the virus. It's because there's other health conditions, many of which are caused by poverty, which we know disproportionately affects African Americans. Um, and those are the conditions that we've talked about on this show that that we're trying to help address by by you know, improving the, the amount of produce that people have access to and the, and the healthy, nutritious food people have access to. And we've talked about um, the link between food and medicine many, many times on our show. And man, this is really showing it as clearly as anything we've ever seen. 
So, you know, I mean, again, it's, it's, this is all new. It just came out and it's just heartbreaking. It's just heartbreaking. It is that. And I think it's, you know, one of the points that COVID-19 magnifies it, you know, it, it, it's like it shines a light and then it makes it very clear that some of the inequities that people are struggling with across um, our society get magnified. And here this access to nutritious food plays a gigantic role in the health disparities that are being magnified now in the midst of this pandemic. Now, I, I don't want to oversimplify things and say that that um, food first, as we talk a lot about here, is the only contributing factor to the overall uh, mechanism and this this very stubborn and intricate complex problem of poverty. But I just think that we have to start somewhere, and you and I and others on our team and all of our food bankers across the state have chosen to invest our handful of life into making food available to people. And that's, a, that's the, for us, is according to Abraham Maslow, is the first place to start. Now, housing and um, other factors that, that come along that affect people's health certainly have to be right behind that. And we applaud those efforts just as much as we do our own. Absolutely right. I mean, you know, we all live in an interconnected system. One thing affects the other. But again, to your point about COVID-19 magnifying certain things, that it certainly has magnified um, the need for us to continue our efforts to provide healthy, fresh, nutritious food to the people that we serve. And of course, we're doing that through the pandemic. There's no question we're producing uh, more results now than we than we have ever done in terms of the amount of people we're reaching every day, every week, and soon every month, right? That's, that's how long this thing has been going on. And so, you know, we know that we're doing our part, uh, but to take a minute to just reflect on what the pandemic is teaching us about the significance and importance of our work is good for us to do. It is clearly very important. And once we can, you know, be face to face again, you know, I, I know there's a number of guests that we ought to be having on our show who can talk even more deeply about their experience of, of the conditions, the health conditions that people have and the hunger that they're seeing in the hospitals, even as they're dealing with COVID-19. I mean, I know I'm hearing stories from people that, you know, there's particularly seniors coming to the hospital who have trouble getting to, to the store. On top of that, they're afraid to go to the store. And so they're literally coming into the hospital at a point of near um, malnutrition. Right. Well, we want to we continue to talk about how COVID-19 is magnifying problems. But I think there's another side of this coin, too, and that's multiplication. Jerry and I are back in just a minute to talk more about the impact the COVID-19 effect right here on Food First Michigan. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for listening with us today. A special edition of uh, Food First Michigan with Jerry Brisson and me, Dr. Phil Knight. Today, Jerry and I are talking about the COVID-19 effect. And the first thing that we realize is that 
this pandemic really magnifies the difficulty that people who are living under the threat and the stress of food insecurity face every day. It's a hard life without a pandemic. It's nearly impossible within it. Jerry, um, Dr. Dawn Opal, who's on our team and is adding tremendous value to this work across the state, uh, was shared with me recently a text from um, one of her friends who's working in the area of, of um, community health and mental health. And as you alluded to in the last segment about the difficulties that seniors are having with access to food and showing up at the hospital very malnourished, there's a whole segment of this population that, that we live with that is also facing that, and that's some of the folks that are struggling within the, the, the corridors of mental health. And uh, again, I, I, you said it just breaks your heart, and I know you to be a, a very compassionate servant here, and, and I just, it just breaks my heart when I think about people who have money on their bridge card but are still unable to utilize that with no access to the grocery stores. Yeah, so, you know, um, one of the things we've been reading a lot about is how the food industry has been impacted, and as you, like, uh, introduced in a magnified way, um, and that is the shift from restaurants to groceries. Mm -hmm. So the, the number of restaurants and the number of people that eat at restaurants every day, it's many, 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 right? And so now m most of those people are eating at restaurants a lot less, partly because they're closed and they just don't want to do the takeout, partly because some don't do the takeout, partly because some of those restaurants have closed. But fundamentally, the food supply chain that supported restaurants now is doing much less work. At the same time, the food supply chain that supports grocery is doing significantly more work. So it's not that people are eating more food now. It's that they're using a different part of the food supply chain to, you know, nourish themselves. Well, what does that mean sure. for us, right? What does that mean for these seniors? It means even if you have the money to spend on groceries, it can take now a week to 10 days if you're going to go pick up your groceries at the store just for a slot. At the same time, right. the items that you would have normally gotten aren't always available. So when you get there to pick up your order, you may only have some of the items that you thought you were going to have. And the same is true for home delivery. Now, you add that. So for an for a able-bodied person who has the money to do whatever they want, okay, you just figure it out, right? But if you're not an able-bodied person or you don't have your own transportation, or you have to use a bridge card that does not allow you to have home delivery or to pay for other services besides the food, you might actually have enough money not to be hungry and no way to solve that problem on your own. So a whole new infrastructure has to be thought about how to reach the people who actually could be paying for food one way or the other, but the system is so taxed, there's no way for them to do it. Wow, that's that's really insightful, and I I appreciate you know, I, I just hadn't thought it all the way through like that. But you're exactly right. I mean, we're still eating the same, probably pretty close to the uh, the amount of food that we always do, generally speaking, uh, for those who are blessed enough to be able 
to um, provide for themselves. Um, but, you know, it's different stresses on different sides of the supply chain. And you're right. I mean, here in the town that I live in, uh, our local grocery store is uh, is two weeks out to get an appointment for um, for the you know the, for the ability for someone to bring the gro- do the shopping for you and bring those groceries to your vehicle. Two weeks out for that. Um, yeah. So again, and it's not because grocery didn't have those services available or that those services weren't you know sufficient for for most of our existence. They were plenty, right? There were there were plenty of sufficiency in all those systems, and now there isn't. And so thinking creatively about and oh, I, I also want to make this point. Food banks have dealt with this dichotomy for years because some of our partner agencies are soup kitchens that need food like a catering business or like a restaurant. They need Number 10 cans, which is a large, large, large can, uh, as opposed to, you know, 14.5 ounces, which is what you usually get when you get green beans for yourself. You get a, a smaller can. Maybe you'll get two if there's a number of you in your house, but not very many people get a, a you know, two-pound can of, of beans. Well, you know what? That's what the restaurant industry uses. So so how do how does that manufacturing chain make it so that they can create a product that the average consumer can use effectively, right? Well, food Mm -hmm. banks have to do that for the different people we serve, and we do it all the time. And we have specific um, aisles of our distribution centers that have those products so that when soup kitchens need to get food, they can go on our website and say, oh, good, you got this and you got this and you got this, and those products will work really well for me, whereas what goes to a pantry is going to be more like a grocery store. The smaller cans, and they're going to be you know, uh, differently handled in terms of the equipment and everything else that we have. Well, unfortunately, the supply chain in general doesn't have that flexibility. You're serving one part of the food supply chain or the other, not both. Mm-hmm. And so it's really hard to make that switch from products that look like this to products that look like that. And that's that's part of the challenge of just flipping the switch. So so all that to say, um, what gets magnified, and that's kind of the theme for the show, what gets magnified is how separate and not connected pieces of our food supply chain are that's making it difficult to respond to the need even though there is enough food. Right. And I think that's a very important point, that there really is enough food. Let's, let's not be nervous about that. And, you know, we've talked about on the show for the last couple of weeks the, the habit of um, uh, panic purchasing. And there's really no need. By, you said last week, and I like the phrase, I've used it a lot during my Zoom calls in the last week. Um, and I, of course, gave you absolutely no credit for that. But, <laughs> but, you know, buy just what you need so everybody has the opportunity to get what they need. Right. And that still holds true this week just as much as it did last week. Yeah, and and can or will the whole food supply chain make the shift? Well, we're having lots of conversations about that, even as we're looking at how to reach these seniors and thinking about is there a way to utilize the restaurant and catering food supply chain to make meals and freeze them and then figure out how to get those meals to some of these seniors and, and people who have other uh, mental health or other disabilities how to get them 
enough meals so that they can get through this time. And, uh, and there's still not a real clear idea of when the food manufacturing chain is going to catch up to all this. And part of the reason for that is no one knows exactly how long this is going to last. So still a lot of uncertainty out there, but we're managing that uncertainty. We're trying to come up with uh, very creative ideas for how to serve different people in different ways based on their needs. But the bottom line is you have one part of the food supply chain, retail grocery, hiring people like mad, and another part of the food supply chain, catering and restaurants, who are letting people go like mad, all within the food supply chain all within the food supply chain, and all within just a matter of a few weeks' time. Yeah, right. I mean, so so it's, uh, as you say, you know, it, it magnifies our understanding of how things work. Ultimately, I think we'll be stronger and better by knowing it, and we'll be able to respond much more effectively to this kind of a crisis by having gone through it. But in the meantime, there's people suffering and, and we're, that's the reason for the long hours and the, and the innovation is to alleviate as much of that suffering as possible and make sure, well, another thing that you often say, doctor, we have to meet people where they are, not where you wish they were. Uh, that's exactly right. And we're having to adjust to do that. So some of those concerns that you just mentioned there about the, the, the COVID-19 effect, magnifications one, multiplications another. I want to talk about that in the next segment. But then I also want to just camp a little bit more in the, in the upcoming segments about some of the concerns we have that the COVID-19 effect has on not just our work, but on the people we serve, but society as a whole, and how we can seize this opportunity to make the necessary changes in the days, weeks, and months ahead. He's Jerry Brisson, I'm Dr. Phil Knight, and we're back with you in just a moment. Food First, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Thanks for listening, everyone. We're back. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here, and we're talking about today on the show, the COVID-19 effect. And we talked about it being how it magnifies um, really inequities across our society, Jerry. Touched on a few of those. Um, and then, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk about uh, as far as one of the other effects is, is really multiplication. Uh, I looked at a spreadsheet from uh, somebody on my team, uh, Bethany Schneider, uh, late last night. And it is amazing the output of food going going from the food banks into the community. It is just staggering the amount of food that is being distributed across. And one of the reasons for that is because we have entirely new populations coming to us for help. We've talked about the wave, kind of the wave lens that we looked at people and we've seen um, not just uh, the, the kids from, that were students on free and reduced lunch and their families and senior citizens we've talked a lot about, but now the, the gig or a contract worker, the, um, the folks who were employed by small business that are now laid off, and then you know the service industry of bars and restaurants, and those folks now not having the opportunity to work. And yet they would still not be, they wouldn't be eligible for some of the federal benefits like SNAP. So where do they turn? And they turn to us. 
they turn to our network. And so the demand for what we're able to do for families across the state has risen exponentially. It's multiplied. Yeah, and fortunately, the state of Michigan and the federal government have taken some pretty definitive action to provide some relief in the immediate term and some relief over the short term because I think the problem would be impossible for us to manage if it weren't for that help. If it weren't for the additional food dollars, if it weren't for the the loans that small businesses can get, if it weren't for the unemployment extensions, um, if it weren't for those things, I think we would be in a very, very difficult situation. And, and the way we maybe like to think of ourselves is, you know, we, we can help the public sector, but we cannot be the public sector. The, 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 the government really has to step up in times of crisis, and in many cases they have, and, and we continue to work with them to, to find the best ways for all of us to do what we do best. So it's also multiplying their work. And I, and I do want to give a lot of credit to our, to our you know, state and federal workers who often get sort of derided for being part of the bureaucracy, but they're so important to us now. And the work that they're doing every day and the long hours they're putting in are really critical to this response. And so I want to make sure that, that we don't forget, in, in light of the fact that we know what we do intimately because it's what we do, that it's what they do that's moving an awful lot of dollars and an awful lot of assistance to the families and the, and the seniors and the other people that need the help. At the same time, there's a role for us. And a lot of the role that we often play in a crisis is for those people that fall between the cracks. So the people who are unemployed, but they're not going to get this unemployment because they don't fall into the category of people that qualify. It doesn't make them any less unemployed. So you take people that clean houses, for example. You know, mm -hmm. they're not going to qualify for this. For this, um, you, you know, some of the landscaping people and some of the other folks that look like that are are individual contractors, and they they don't necessarily work for a company. And and you know, it, it's it's a little bit harder for them to go through the process of figuring out how do they get any government assistance that might be available to them. And so people do end up coming for emergency food assistance, partly just because they don't know how to get the other assistance that might be available, and partly because they might not qualify for that assistance. And the, the ongoing issues haven't gone away either. <laughs> so uh. people who... People who you know, started out this, this crisis having a little bit more month than money, that hasn't changed. They're still going through the crisis with more month than money. It might be even more <laughs> so. And, less, and thus, less money, more month. <laughs> yeah, right. And no. so, so you know, it's um, as as we're as we talk to our boards at at um, at the food banks. You know, one of the things that we remind people is, while we might have increased the number of households that we're seeing by twenty five or thirty thousand people in in every couple week period. In that same couple weeks, we're normally seeing 100,000 people. And, and we're trying to ramp up because we think the need is a little bit bigger than that even yet. So, so there's your multiplication. We think that, you know, I think it was the Flint Food Bank that came back and said, we did a month of work this week. And, yeah. you know, and I think that that's how it's going to look for a while. And a lot of that really is filling in the cracks while people are figuring out the new normal. Well, this COVID effect, I think, in many ways, uh, it 
magnifies what's difficult. It multiplies um, what's uh, what's what's needed, and you know. And then I think there's there's probably a stretch factor here as well, and that is we're all growing, we're all learning, we're learning to. One of the things we're learning is how do we appreciate one another and each other's efforts and. You talked about the role of government, and they certainly have a role to play, a huge role to play in the midst, anytime there's an emergency declaration. And so I'm going to be a little dangerous here because I want to I want to call a couple of folks out, Jerry, that have come alongside of our network to really help us. You're going to know you're going to know every name that I'm going to talk about, and 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 I want to talk about Director Gordon at DHHS and his. His right hand man, Louis Rubel, who who have called me and talked about how can we partner, how can we do that. Director Gary McDowell over at MDARD, uh, Diane Gozinski and Phil Chase and over at uh, MDE, Jenna Holmes at the um, Michigan uh, Community Service Commission, and then even in the governor's office, Gita Dagler. Um, she called me last night about 9:45. I don't know when she sleeps. Um, then you think about uh, some of the good folks like at Consumers and some of the other foundation, Carolyn Bloodworth, that you know very well, all of them calling and saying, how can we help? What can we do to help you? And I really have to say that this is a new experience for those of us in Michigan. We don't deal with hurricanes or statewide disasters, and we're learning as we go. And I'm appreciative that everyone is willing to listen and to learn so that we can make sure our efforts are multiplied to meet these needs that are magnified. Yep, and it is amazing. Uh, you know, one of one of the another little saying I have is you don't know your limit until you reach it. Until mm. then you can only guess at it, right? And so I think there's been a few times when we've learned our limit. <laughs> now now, that doesn't mean we don't know how to grow it even further, but in the meantime, you know, I think we've all learned the limit of the number of hours we can work in so many days in a row. I think we've all learned that. Uh, but we've also um, learned the limit of our food supply chain and some other things that 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 um, are really important uh, lessons from this multiplication effect. And and so um, so, as you say, the state government is learning their limits. What can they move quickly? What takes more time? Who needs to be involved? How do we get the right people at the table initially so that we don't have bumps in the road later because we didn't really think through all of the implications of whatever the decisions are? So I, I think, you know, how do, you, how do we capture all this learning and make sure that we retain it is going to be one of the significant challenges of, of COVID-19. You know, I don't know when COVID-20 is coming, but I can tell you this, I hope we remember these lessons when it does. Well, I'm making a list, I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, some of the things that are magnified and, and certainly uh, the social determinants of health that we've spent a lot of airtime talking about over the past year or two, two years on our show are all magnified in the midst of COVID-19. And so there's a lot of lessons here for us to learn and I think we're learning them, and I encourage everybody to write a list. Let's talk about how things could be better, how they should be better, and how we can make them better. 
So that's one of the purposes of our show. We've got one more segment. We want you to come back and be with us. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. He's Jerry Brisson, and we're back with you. You come back and be with us too. Thanks everyone for listening. We're happy that you're taking the time out of your day to spend with Jerry and I as we discuss the COVID-19 effect. Jerry, we've said that it magnifies a lot of things. Most of those things are difficult things that exist in our society, no matter whether we're in a pandemic or not. But you know, it does magnify some other things too that aren't so negative, aren't so difficult. I think it magnifies how people are coming together to help. And we touched on that when we talked about how our efforts are being multiplied. But my gosh, man, how could you do this work without, without people coming alongside of us? And that's something I hope that we can carry out of this experience. And that COVID-19 effect will continue on in the days, weeks, and months, years ahead. Well, I certainly have gone through ups and downs in the economy before. Um, I've been in this food banking and and basic needs work for over 30 years, um, and so have seen a lot of things come and go. And my experience suggests that about six months after this thing is over, as we know it now, we're going to forget, at least from a day-in, day-out perspective, about 90% of it and move on with our life. And I think that's normal, and I think that's how we cope with stress, and I think that's a, a actually important survival mechanism. But for those of us who stay in the work, we've got to remember some of this. We have to, we have to document procedures that we've put in place, even things like how we clean our facilities um, and, and what we've learned about cleaning as a result of having to be so careful right now. And food safety has always been one of our primary concerns. And so, uh, so you know, there's, there's the, the people who stand with us now as we're going through this, those are trust relationships that we've got to maintain. Even when we're not thinking about this anymore, um, we and, and again, Doctor, one of the things that you often say is our biggest commodity is trust. And, and we have developed a lot of trust relationships um, as a result of what we've been able to do during this time. And, and it is going to be critical to maintain those, to keep people informed about what's happening in our world and, and to know that they're going to they're gonna be able to have even more confidence in what we do because they've seen what we can do now. Yeah, I agree with you, Jerry. I think that we really want to hang on to this. And uh, COVID, the COVID-19 effect that it magnifies what, not only what's wrong, but also what's right. And we want to learn and hang on to both of those. And then it causes us to, to multiply. Is The COVID-19 effect makes us be better, makes us do more, makes us be more. And I think we want to hang on to that as well. Um, it, it, it's it's every day is is a challenge here, and we want to we want to hang on to it. Give us a last word, and then we'll have a little food for thought. Well, I mean, the last word that I that I come to always at the end of every day is how much more I have to be grateful for than to complain about. There are so many wonderful things about our world, and uh, and about where we live, and about who we know, and about 
how enabled and empowered we are to make the world better. I am truly grateful, and it is an honor to work with this group of people who are out there every day making food first. It's time for a little food for thought. The greatest challenge leaders have is to create positive solutions. What a scary thought it would be if the food banks became food insecure. It's frightening, actually. The problem of access to food is a nationwide crisis and one that people who hold positions of both authority and responsibility must recognize and think different about. Food insecurity in the midst of a statewide pandemic is magnified and multiplied. The solution cannot be, should not be, and must not be the responsibility of a community-based organization alone. That's why we're thankful that our state government and our federal government is coming alongside. Just as we've said on this show from the beginning, everyone has a role to play in order to solve hunger and create a food secure Michigan. That responsibility is both magnified and multiplied by this crisis. Government under the responsibilities of the Constitution has a unique and expanded role to play in this statewide challenge. And the foundation of it and the foundation of its actions cannot be charity. It must be rooted in duty to the citizenry. With the understanding that now, especially in and during a pandemic, it should be, can be, and must be. Food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.